The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan and now back to the podcast about as far back as I can remember around seven years old I I really started to suffer from the signs and symptoms of severe anxiety uh, and obsessive compulsive disorder and for me the obsessive compulsive disorder uh, manifested itself in intrusive thoughts. And I'm not sure if you've had other guests on who have kind of gone through in detail the intrusive thought side of OCD, mm-hmm. but essentially it's, you know, it's very, it's scary. They're terrifying thoughts. Uh, they're usually uh, aimed uh, at either harming other people or harming loved ones. And, uh, and it, it plays on an endless loop. And uh, the way I describe it when I talk to people is imagine uh, a song that you absolutely despise. So for me, uh, it's Baby Shark. Imagine Baby Shark is playing en- on an endless loop in your head 24-7, uh, and you're spending your entire day trying to push it away. And the more you try to push it away, the louder and louder and louder it gets. Um, and then you spend your entire day worrying about how loud is this song going to be? How much longer is this song going to play? Uh, and in, in an effort to help, you know, feel safe and secure from that song, you have a whole bunch of compulsions, which you do. And, and so many people think OCD and, and I thought this for a long time, OCD was, well, I'm just really neat. I, I organize things, uh, by color or by size or by shape, but the reality of it was I wasn't feeling safe and secure throughout my childhood. And so the OCD and the, the physical manifestations of the compulsions were ways to give me a sense of control over things I didn't have control over. We've all been put here for a reason, and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. 
From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. That sounded so official, by the way. Um, I don't know why I sounded like I was on NPR or something this morning. I have my guests. I was just telling my guests I was running late. I was having technical difficulties. I'm always kind of a hot mess on the weekends. Um, You know, kids, dogs, the whole thing, trying to get people fed. Um, And I was out last night seeing my youngest daughter's play that she was in. And um, it was really cute. They did Shrek and she did a great job. And she thinks she's Beyonce. So nothing new there. Loves to sing, loves to perform. Have no idea where she gets it whatsoever. But secretly, the theater major in me is pretty excited that she seems to want to follow in her mom's footsteps and her dad's footsteps, for that matter, because her dad was an actor. Um, I would like to, first of all, just a couple notes. Thank you for the reviews that you all leave me each week on Apple, Spotify, wherever you stream. Uh, It helps new listeners find me. Um, I always appreciate it for my ego because my head always needs to be a little bit bigger. If you're going to leave me a bad review, just don't do it. Or if you do it, just don't do it. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, And then you can follow me on Patreon. I'm going to have some new episodes coming out with my husband in the next few weeks. It's getting to be summer, so... Things are going to be crazy with me at home with my kids. You can also watch my episodes on YouTube. I have kicked it up a notch after seeing a screenshot of what I look like with no makeup on and sweatshirts today. Eric, I am wearing a dress and attempted to put a little bit of makeup on. So there's that. Um, I would like to introduce my guest today. Eric DeRosa is also a mental health podcaster. And I love the name of his podcast because it's very similar to the, if you look on the cover of my podcast, I say from sharing stories of surviving and thriving, his podcast is called from survivor to thriver. And he is the co-host of that podcast. He is also founder and CEO of from survivor to thriver. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thank you so much for having me on. And let me first say congratulations on, is it now 500,000 downloads since you started your podcast? Well, Eric, not to brag or anything. (laughs) I'm just joking. Um, Yes, I started in 2020, in October of 2020, drooling. There was nothing going on in 2020. Nothing going on. Well, except me like losing my marbles in my house and like going through the worst experience of my life pretty much. Uh, that's not true. It was just, that's why I started it. So we'll hear about why you kind of like got into your story and why you started your company and your podcast. But, um, yes, you know, not to talk about myself, but I will. Um, I, when I started this and you're a podcaster too, I was like happy if like five people listened (laughs) and then the podcast in time, they grow, um, they can be difficult sometimes to do. You have to, it's a real job. I always tell podcasters that come to me and they say, I want to start a podcast, have an agenda, have exact, and know that you're not just, it's not going to be easy. It's very time consuming. Um, It takes a lot of work. And again, I was joking about like bragging before. I am just 
so thankful if I help, like I say this a lot and I'm sure you do too, that if I help one person or two people every episode with whatever they're going through, then I, this is all worth it to me. And I am, I am so beyond grateful. So thank you, Eric, for pointing that out for my, Oh, sure. No, and you're absolutely right. When we, when we started our podcast, so it was in January of 2021 and there was, you know, something going on around that time, uh, which is, it was probably a new variant. Yeah. Which is not going to talk about it. Omicron or whatever it might be. Yeah. But yeah. when we started the podcast, it was exactly that. And I remember very early on, Mark, my co-host, very close friend, he he was saying like how many downloads we're getting. And I said, stop. Yeah. None of none of this matters. First of all, yeah. when when we started, I had never listened to a podcast before. It, it was something that I I knew the message needed to get out that mm-hmm. a lot of other people were struggling. I was struggling. And I had the tools. I had been through therapy. I I was and still am medicated. All of the things. But I thought, if I have all of this and I'm struggling, what about the other seven billion people that are out there? And so mm-hmm. we started it, and it was exactly that. It was right shattering the stigma around mental health conversations. But but I think even more than that, it's become if we can change, even if it's for. 30 seconds. We know if you can alter somebody's thought pattern for seven seconds, you can mm-hmm. interrupt that pattern. You can change, right? Somebody who may be thinking of self-harm mm-hmm. gives them enough time to stop. So I, I always thought if we can change the trajectory of somebody's journey by listening to just one episode, check the box, job done. I don't care how many people listen. And very much like you, I've been blown away by comments I get, feedback I get. Uh, about a year ago, uh, we were recognized by uh, by Katie Carrick uh, as one of you know her up-and-coming favorite new mental health podcasts. And so just all of these things that come about because of it are are wonderful and, and amazing, as you were just saying. But, but the core message for us is still about helping people find their voice, building community, and, and you know, letting other people know they're not alone. Okay. I love you. Um, that's amazing. And so true. And, and I forgot to mention part of the reason I'm really featuring people like you is because it's mental health awareness month and we're closing it out. It's the month of May. And I, I love what you said. I think, um, the suicide rates, I talk about this all the time, are the highest, especially in adolescents and teens and kids than it's ever been. And what you exactly along the same lines of what you're saying, you just knowing that you're not alone, you know, I felt so alone when I was in my, in my darkest time of my life dealing with just major, major depression and anxiety before I started this. And like you, I didn't know what a podcast, I mean, I knew what a podcast was, but I thought it was like, kind of like really smart people that sat in, like, I didn't really understand what, what one was, except that my friend had one. So I was like, somebody said, oh, you're creative. You should start a podcast. Then I figured out what it was. And you go along 
And I just think that's wonderful what you said. And I can already tell I'm a big fan. So <laughs> let's let's kind of start with your story. I know that you told me that you are a big skier and you live in Aspen. I am so jealous. One of the most wonderful places in the country. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and where you're from. Sure. Uh, so it's kind of a funny story. Here I am living in Colorado. Skiing is my life and and marrying it up now with skiing and mental health. And I, I had shared with you earlier in the week, I, I was like completely blown away and honored when Ski Magazine reached out to me to write an article for uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And, and it got published and was in, uh, was in the Tuesday um, online. And so people can check that out. And, but growing up, it was really interesting. I grew up in New England. So I grew up in a very small town in Southeastern Massachusetts called Somerset. And so many people think that as a kid, I grew up in right the the East Coast version of the Colorado Rockies. So I must have skied. I must have done all these winter things. And the reality is I had never skied. I, I was not a big fan of the snow. I wasn't a big fan of the cold. And it wasn't until my wife's 33rd birthday, uh, and I write about this, that I was like, what, what am I going to get her? What am I going to do? And... I called my mother-in-law, who I have a very close relationship with, and I said, you know what I'm going to do for Amy? I'm going to learn how to ski. Now, my wife had been a lifelong skier, and so I used to hear a lot about her her trips to Vermont when they, she grew up in New York. And then I heard a lot about her trips to Colorado, and I realized we had, we had already been together. Uh, so we met in 1991 in college. And so now it's 2004. So it's almost 15 years and she hadn't skied. And I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. And so we went up to Vermont and that was her, her birthday gift. I skied. And now here we are, it's 2023. And you know, there's a lot that happened in before and after that, but we, we left New York in uh, the fall of 2011. We moved to Colorado became full-time ski instructors and you know i'm watching your face megan yeah it's that is so uh, crazy sorry yeah it's watch it on youtube for my face (laughs) (laughs) it is it's it's so crazy if somebody had said to me when i was 21 years old graduating from college headed towards wall street um Uh and said you know at 40 you are not going to be living in new york you're going to live in the mountains you're going to teach skiing and it's it's really going to completely and totally upend and change your life I would have given them, you know, back in those days, the, yeah, whatever, uh, and kind of turned and, and walked away. But yeah, it's, it's so, so true. It, it, um, it's, it's amazing to look back on the journey and we'll talk about it. And, you know, there's so many, uh, deep, dark parts of it, but skiing is in many ways, as the title of the article says, you know, um, how skiing saved my life. And, and not only did it save my life, but it's, it's helped me grow as a person and change as a person and, um, and, and find joy in, in a way that I never thought possible. Let me ask you a question. So sure. I grew up skiing. I, I love to ski. I'm afraid to ski now. I don't know if it's my age, but now when I put the boots on, I haven't skied in a few years and all my, I live in uh, in LA, the a beach city in LA. So we're close to mountains and a lot of people here ski 
And I went probably a few years ago and it was just a different experience for me. I felt really, I'm afraid of heights now. Like some of the things that I wasn't, so I've always been afraid of heights, but I wasn't, when you're young, it's, you just are, I don't know, less afraid of things. And you know what I'm saying? And I remember being at the top, I used to ski um, black diamonds all the time as a teen and a kid. And I just was like, this is not for me anymore. I'm scared. Get me off this mountain. I need to go to the lodge. And I, but what I love about what you said is when you find something, whether for me, it's singing. So I've been a singer my whole life. When you find something that you like are passionate about and you love, and it's just something that you're, it's part of your heart and part of your being, which it sounds like skiing is to you. It makes sense that you are drawn to that and that maybe it can help somebody else. And it's not ne- and PS it's never too late. I love to tell people that it's never too late to change your path or change what you're going to do in life. So growing up in New York, I grew up in DC, by the way, Potomac, Maryland. Ah, so East coast, eh? East coast girl. Um, and y- you know, th- it is, it's like you're expected once you go to college to do certain things, I I think for men, especially because men have such a hard time talking about their mental health. Women, we're like open books. My friends and I sit around and gab and talk about our problems. Men just don't. And so whenever I have men come on and talk about it, I'm always so grateful. Um, But I love what you said. I think that's amazing. And I just want to point out, it's never too late. If you would have told me when I was in corporate America five years ago, um, that I would be, you know, a podcaster making money, being a podcaster, you know, that an author, I, I would never have believed you. I would never, never, ever, ever. And so I love that. I love that you took that turn and you did something different and more people I think need to do it. It would be a much happier world. I think if we all did. Right. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And, and let's, um, I've been, I've been playing around with this just in the last couple of weeks as, as I wrote the article and as after ski season, I always find it's a time of reflection for me, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm go, 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 go during the season and, um, chasing powder and, and having a really good time. And when, when the off season hits before summer, I have a chance to kind of reflect and put some pieces together. And, and what I, what I realized for the first time, so this is marrying the mental health side of the world and the ski side of the world. And mm-hmm. I, and I think this will directly address your question also about why was I able to do these things when I was a teenager and when I was younger, but now, and, and part of that is right. We're both older. Um, mm-hmm. you're a mom, as you said, uh, so you have kids that's going through your mind, right? As you're out on snow, like what's going on with my kids. I can't get hurt. All these things are entering into our mind. But what I've discovered is I think what makes skiing so healing is not only the fact that we're outside in nature and nature can be very grounding and it's beautiful. And, and anyone who's ever stood atop a mountain, whether it's a a 300 uh, vertical foot mountain in the East coast or here where I am at at 12 and a half thousand feet and, and look at the, looking at the view, it's, it's also about healing our inner child. 
And I, and I really realized this a couple of weeks ago that, that what has been so amazing for me is I've had the ability to go back, even though I'm adult Eric on the snow, I go back and I ski like I'm seven-year-old Eric, like I'm 10-year-old Eric, like I'm teenage Eric. The things that I never got to do, the things that I was told you can't do, I now do it. I do it for a living and I love it. And so that inner child work that we all do and we learn when we go through therapy and we've been through and having been through trauma, we can actually take it into a sport. We can take it into, for you, it's singing. I learned to play guitar right around the same time I learned how to ski. So many of the things I do in my adult life, I have picked up in, you know, from the time I was 33 and on. And it's really helped ground me, but it's helped to heal that small child, right? Who who mm-hmm. went through all that emotional uh, childhood trauma when I was younger. And I get to do these things on my own terms now. And I get to enjoy them on my own terms. And I get to share them with little Eric who never got to experience them back then. Let me ask you, because we're kind of um, talking about our wounded and our our wounded selves Our like, I had a very hard childhood myself. um, Very traumatic, was diagnosed with complex PTSD a few years ago. Tell me, let's kind of talk about your story and why you are where you are. But what I do want to piggyback on what you just said is I love that. And I love too, that you play the guitar. Um, it's sometimes I think that people that struggle with their mental health, this is just an observation. By the way, I'm not a doctor. Um, neither but, one of us is doctor. Neither one of us. We're is, frequent but, flyers as I like to refer to yes, myself. I as. mean, yes. yeah, exactly. <laughs> But do you find I'm very right brained. So all the things that like music, like for you, guitar, singing, it kind of makes sense. So many of the guests I've had on, I've found that struggle with um, their mental health are artists. I mean, think about the best musicians and composers and artists and athletes, many of which are right brained human beings struggle with major depressive disorder, schizophrenia, bipolar, all of these things. So it does kind of make sense that what we find healing in our lives is, I mean, music to me is my happiest place. My happiest time is when I'm singing. It sounds like that's skiing for you or playing the guitar. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to know, can you tell me, start with just about your story and what the trauma was, and then we'll kind of go from there. Sure. And just to follow up on that point, for the longest time, I always, I and now I realize, I boxed myself in as a left brain person. So I went to, I went to school uh, and I graduated with an economics degree. I went and got my MBA. I spent 18 years, you know, on Wall Street and then in corporate finance for a Fortune 500 company in New York City. And people would always ask me, "Are you right-brained or you're left-brained?" I'm like, "Oh, it's not even a question. I'm left-brained. I'm, you know, it's all about like spreadsheets and finance and math and these things." And in the last, you know, 10 years or so, as you had just said, I've I've realized, "Wait a second. I really am right-brained. I've suppressed it for ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once I allowed that creativity to come out, 
uh, whether it be through, you know, skiing or mountain biking, or as you said, playing guitar. And, um, I just had the chance to be down in Nashville at a, at volunteer at a music therapy retreat with a friend of mine and just watching the, the songwriting process and, and playing along. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm realizing more and more the right, the right brain is, is who I am. But yeah, to back up to my, my story, it, you know, about as far back as I can remember around seven years old, I, I really started to suffer from the signs and symptoms of severe anxiety uh, and obsessive compulsive disorder. And for me, the obsessive compulsive disorder uh, manifested itself in intrusive thoughts. And I'm not sure if you've had other guests on who have kind of gone through in detail the intrusive thought side of OCD, mm -hmm. but essentially it's, you know, it's very, it's scary. They're terrifying thoughts. Uh, they're usually uh, aimed uh, at either harming other people or harming loved ones. And, uh, and it, it plays on an endless loop. And uh, the way I describe it when I talk to people is imagine uh, a song that you absolutely despise. So for me, uh, it's Baby Shark. Imagine Baby Shark is playing en on an endless loop in your head 24-7. Uh, and you're spending your entire day trying to push it away. And the more you try to push it away, the louder and louder and louder it gets. Um, and then you spend your entire day worrying about how loud is this song going to be? How much longer is this song going to play? Uh, and in, in an effort to help, you know, feel safe and secure from that song, you have a whole bunch of compulsions, which you do. And, and so many people think OCD and, and I thought this for a long time, OCD was, well, I'm just really neat. I, I organize things. Uh, by color or by size or by shape. But the reality of it was I wasn't feeling safe and secure throughout my childhood. And so the OCD and the, the physical manifestations of the compulsions were ways to give me a sense of control over things I didn't have control over. Uh, and, you know, the switching the lights on and off three times. For me, everything was done in threes. So it was all about, you know, checking the, the knob of the door three times, checking the knob on the stove three times. Uh, and if I, I felt as if I did those things, everything would be fine. I would be fine. People around me would be safe. If mm -hmm. I happened to forget to do it or I happened to do it um, more than three times or fewer than three times, something terrible was going to happen. And so I was trapped in this, I was trapped in this endless loop of, anxiety and OCD and one feeding on the other uh, and just continuing to think like, wow, I'm, I, I am so fucked up. Uh, and this was even through my adolescence. And, and I mm -hmm. thought I'm broken. I'm unfixable. Why am I not like all of the other kids? Right. We all know that's not true. Uh, but that's, that's how I thought at the time. And so I kept it a secret. I never shared my secret with anybody. I, I didn't tell friends. I didn't tell family members. Uh, and it wasn't until I was living in New York. I had ch changed jobs. It was uh, August, September of 2004. And I suffered my first dissociative episode, psychotic break, however you want to describe it. And that was the very first time my wife really recognized something was wrong. And so she was the one who encouraged me to go and speak to a therapist for the first time. And so that was what really began my mental health journey. And mm -hmm. so there were some 
extremely dark points in, you know, we'll call it age seven to 33 that I can remember where I, I thought, is, is this going to be what it's like forever? And if it is, I, I don't want this. I, I can't go through this again. And then I'd experience times where my head would be a bit quieter. And I think, great, whatever that was, I'm healed from it. Again, major, <laughs> major misthought uh, because we don't, we don't uh, completely and totally like have um, our mental health journeys like, and there's no cure. But I, I just thought, Things are better. And then they would spiral again. And I think not again. Um, and w even when I started to see a therapist and, in, you know, in my late 30s and in early 40s, I was I was medicated. And when things would really, really spiral out of control, I don't even think I've talked about this on my own show. When things would spiral out of control, um, I would sometimes look in the medicine cabinet and and I would say, if it gets really, 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 really bad, um, and I, and I feel really unsafe in my own skin, like I could just down that whole bottle right there, um, and that'll take care of it. Like I'll just go to sleep, and that'll be the end. Uh, but it's you're yeah. making you're making me cry. I'm a crier. I cry a lot. Um, just because going through that period, thinking of how, how long of a period that was until you finally, in some ways, I think. Getting to a point where, I, I mean, I hate to think somebody would have to go through a break breakdown or of any sort, but to be free in a way, to go get the help. It's almost like you're freeing yourself when you get to that place where it's so bad that you just want out, really. And that's what it sounds like you were going through. And it breaks my heart that your little boy self was doing all of these things as a coping mechanism and I don't know enough about OCD. And what's interesting when you said that is I was just thinking, I'm, I was like, I have never had somebody on the podcast that has talked about having OCD. So, um, here I am, <laughs> here you are. What, what do you mind going into what sure. you, what you think brought up about? Like, was there things going on at home that you, are you comfortable sharing that? Yeah. I mean, I'll share some things without mentioning names or, or okay. people. And okay. so, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I was brought up in, in a household where um, it was, you know, extremely, extremely stressful. And throughout my childhood uh, from, from day one, I was, I was told how things were going to be, what I was going to do. Uh, lots of times I'd hear things like, oh, don't touch that. That's dangerous. Um, you're going to get hurt. Don't do this. Don't do that. Um, and so that kind of started to set the backdrop. And then as I, you know, as I moved into my, my adolescent years, um, it was really, you know, I had one, uh, one parent who, who was, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll use the word, uh, tyrant when it came to academics. I had one who was kind of a tyrant when it came to athletics and, um, you know, nothing was ever good enough. Uh, I was never, um, you know, I can't even remember hearing things like, Oh, we're really proud of you. Great job. It was always, well, you know, next time, well, next time. Uh, and, and so uh, when I look back on all of these things 
now. And of course there are a lot more stories in there. Uh, when I look back on it, it, it's no coincidence that I have a really difficult time when somebody, uh, credits me for something or says, Oh, really good job. Cause I, cause growing up, I always heard the, the next word, which was, but like, Oh, I'm just waiting for somebody to say, you know, really good job. But next time, can you, uh, you know, do this in a different way? And so uh, I feel like I was, I was just trained. Uh, and a lot of the things that I, I did love to do in my childhood, uh, I don't do anymore uh, because I just associate that with a time when I had to do it. And, and we, we talked when we first started the show about things like skiing and guitar. Um, those are things that I get to do. I did, decided to do them. I do them on my terms. Uh, and so I really love them. But to talk a little bit more about OCD, um, so obsessive compulsive disorder is in many ways, it goes hand in hand with anxiety. And mm -hmm. so there's the obsessive side, which is, as I, I was talking about earlier, it's often thoughts that go on in our head that we obsess about. So that's the, hence the obsessive side of obsessive compulsive. It takes many different shapes and forms. Uh, and for me, it was, as I said, intrusive thoughts. So they are, they are just these terrible, horrible uh, thoughts that you cannot get out of your head. And for those of us who are experiencing it and are not being treated for it or not speaking about it, we think that the way for the intrusive thoughts to go away is to push against them really hard. When mm -hmm. the reality is, it's like that shiny object. It wants you to see it. So the more you try to push it away, the more it comes in. And so as the obsessive thought takes hold and it controls your life, right? I would be, I'm thinking about being in school. I would, I would be in school and, and one of the things that I had difficulty with was sleeping as a kid and I would actually sit in school and all day I'd be thinking about, am I going to be able to sleep tonight? Am I going to be able to fall asleep tonight? Uh, what's going to happen when I wake up at two in the morning and I'm wandering around the house? And then, and so I was trying to take in the information of what was happening in the class, but that's where my head was focused on. Along with the obsessive side comes the compulsive side and the compulsive side stems from one's uh, and it's futile and, and it's, it's, you know, it's what we do to make ourselves feel safe and secure. We do things that we feel like we can control. Uh, so for, for example, uh, I, I use the light switch. So whenever I would enter a room, turn the light on. When I would exit the room, I would take the light switch, turn it off and on three times. Once it was done three times, something in my mind would go, great, now you're safe. That thought's going to go away. Um, you're not going to harm anybody. You're going to be able to sleep. Whatever the obsessive thought that happened to be the, uh, on the menu for, for that day. Uh, and if I didn't do it, then there'd be, it's kind of like the devil on one shoulder, right? Mm -hmm. It would say, wow, um, you know, you're going to die today. Or, uh, you know, what you were just thinking is actually going to come true. And so I'd have to stop myself in my tracks, start it over again. And so when I start looking at all of the compulsions that I did, I can't imagine where I found time in my day to actually be a student, to be, to work, to be a husband, to, to actually go through life 
for as long as I did because it was so time consuming and it was so physically and mentally draining and exhausting. Um, but I, but I can look back on it now through a much different lens, having done all of the work and really understanding it. But at the time it, it felt as though I was the only one that was consumed in this box, so to speak. And, and I was living this and I always thought to myself, if anybody knew what was going on inside of my head right now, I not only like would I go be brought to a hospital, I'd be locked up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember the first time I went to my therapist in New York and I was sitting across from him and we were really just kind of dealing in crisis mode at the time. So it wasn't, it wasn't, let's do the deep work right now. It was what is happening? What are you thinking about right now? And I thought if I actually say this out loud in about five minutes, I'm probably going to find the New York city police department right behind me about to handcuff me and, and haul me away. So that's how terrified I was to actually speak about it for the first time. But when I did speak about it, I think it was one or two sessions later and I saw the look on his face. It was calm. It was placid. And I thought, I'm saying all these things to him. And like, there's no reaction at all. And and I remember at some point he said to me, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard stuff like that before. I didn't really uh, take stock of it at the time. But now I realize that was his way of telling me, yeah, yep. I've probably spoken to like hundreds of people who have said very, very similar things to you. And yeah, it's totally okay. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D designed for serious allergy suffering. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's almost like being in a prison. It's a prison in many ways. I, I can't relate to the OCD part, but when you brought up in the beginning, you said 
doing harm to others, doing harm to myself, um, being afraid. It, it, there is a element of feeling like a prisoner in your own brain, in your own body. Um, when, when I had my first daughter, I found that my, what's interesting about depression and anxiety, cause I suffer from panic attacks and really bad anxiety is you can run, like we said in the beginning, but you can't hide. It's coming mm -hmm. for you. It's going to come yep. for you eventually. And mine came for me. Yours came for you. But what would happen with me is I would have like episodes and I'd be like, I'm fine now. Like, I'm totally fine. Like, I have this great life. I live at the beach in L.A. I have a family. I have my two daughters, blah, blah, blah. But when I was when I had Sophie, my oldest, I was terrified of like knives in the house. Like I couldn't. I was like, oh my God, there's a knife downstairs. There's a knife and somebody, and it was like, I would have trouble going to sleep at night because I think I had the depression of my childhood and the complex PTSD, all of those things like came to a boiling point with the hormones and everything of having a baby that I was like terrified of like, of harm, like harming her, mm -hmm. even though I knew I wasn't going to, but it was this terrifying thought in my brain of, you know, being in a car. What if my car just drove off the freeway? Like that kind of stuff. Like you can't. And then when you do go to a therapist, like you said, and you tell someone, this is what's happening. That's why this is so important. What you're sharing is they go, you're okay. Like this is going to be okay. This is normal. Do you know how many times I've gone to my, my beloved therapist Dr. Nay, who's not my therapist anymore, but was and said, like, I thought this, like, am I a horrible person? Like, I must be bad. There must be something really wrong with me. And, you know, Eric, what I think is so tremendously powerful and brave about what you're sharing is you sharing what you just shared. Some somebody out there, some hopefully boy, some young boy. Because I hope that that, I mean, I know I probably don't have young boys, but maybe a mother of a young boy is listening. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to be in therapy. It's okay to like do all this stuff. I think giving, instead of going and sending your kid to a basketball camp or a, whatever you're sending them to, yeah, that's great. You know, mental health and going to therapy is one of the biggest gifts you can give your children. And, um, and I'm, you know, the minute my older one especially starts telling me stuff, I'm like, she needs to get back in therapy. Like, what am I doing? This is important. So thank you for sharing that. Cause it really oh, thank, honestly thank makes me feel like you're going to, you're really helping people. Thank you. Yeah. And as, as you were talking about the knives thing, mm -hmm. it, it got me, it got me thinking about a couple of things and, and one, you know, very similar thoughts for me. And I remember it was my therapist here in Colorado and uh, I went through a pretty dark patch in the fall of, of 20, it was 2021. And I remember saying to her, you know, as I was going through some of the thoughts that were coming through into my head, uh, and I was like, oh, I'm just this horrible person. Um, and, and I would even do things like I would, I, I have terrible handwriting. I've had horrible handwriting from the time I can remember. And so the links I used to put together, I'd be like, well, I have terrible handwriting and I have these thoughts. So I must be, 
a serial killer, right? That's, that's the, that's how fast thoughts would travel through my brain, uh, and go from like zero to a hundred in no time at all. And I remember having this conversation with her and, and her response, she looked at me and she goes, you know, serial killers actually wouldn't even think about like, no, or feel bad. Or, um, you know, people who obsess about these things, it's because it's so far away from who you really are as a person yeah. and your character. Um, so that really opened the lens for me. But the knife thing is, is interesting. I was, uh, I have a really good friend, uh, Zach Westerbeck, and, and he has a podcast all specifically aimed at, at OCD. And he and I were on a chat the other day and, uh, and his wife was on and yeah, she was explaining some of the things that they do in their house uh, where now and similar to our house where uh, we can actually talk openly and honestly about these, you know, these obsessive thoughts. And, and she had said, you know, sometimes, you know, Zach will be in the kitchen and he'll go to pick up a knife. And, and she's like, and I know that can be a trigger for him. So I'll pick up a knife too and be like, are we going to go at it? And the two of them, you know, start laughing. And, and I think, at some point in our journeys, and for somebody in your audience who's listening now who may be thinking, wow, I, I just can't see a way through this. I, I don't even know where to begin. Trust me when I tell you it does get better. There, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, even if you can't see it now. Uh, and in time, you'll be able to look back on these things and rather rather than dwelling on them with dread, you'll actually, and, and it's part of what we do on our show, um, there's a little, there can be comedy to it. And, and I think it's, I think in many ways it's healing and helpful to be able to to look at some of the things that we go through and, and kind of laugh a little bit about it and joke a little bit about it. Um, and, and that's part of the healing. I, a hundred percent. And I think that if more people shared, instead of going to like couples dinners, you know, like you go out with a couple, a new couple or like whatever, it's always like, I'm, I mean, I love going to dinners, but it's always like BS conversations. You know, yeah. I love that you have, it's not always, but it's always like the political climate, uh, our kids, um, ha ha ha, what are you doing this weekend? Like, wouldn't it be great if we just said, you know what, like work suck this week and I really am upset. I'm really having a hard time right now. <laughs> yes. I just wonder if maybe we wouldn't be in the climate that we're in right now because it just feels like the world is a complete shit show and I'm so stressed out <laughs> about just what we're going through and the yeah. realities of like what people are doing and the shootings and all of these things, these young boys you know, and I do talk about shootings a lot. Yep. Um, but if, if we just could like get people in to talk about these things like you, instead of carrying this from seven to 33 yeah. and then having a breakdown, I mean, you actually lived a life. You should have been dead probably way younger than that. Right. Sure. Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. Go ahead. And, and I'm, and maybe I did, and I just don't remember it because I was young, but mm -hmm. I can't believe that it wasn't until 33 
that I finally broke. And then I made the mistake of thinking I'm totally cured a year later. So I took myself off my meds. I stopped seeing my therapist and you know, we all know what happened a year after that. I broke mm-hmm. it again. And that's when I realized. Uh, so the first time it was really my wife saying, right, re- you really need to, to seek help. So I sought help and I thought, okay, I'm fixed. Mm-hmm. The second time I realized, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> there is no like cure for this. This mm-hmm. is something that I will be, and I'm not going to use the word battle because it is not a day in and day out battle. Um, so sometimes when I hear people say that, I'm like, well, you're not really helping other people, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's just, it's an ongoing part of my day where, you know, if, if, if I'm not feeling great on a particular day, I can check in with myself. I call it like meeting yourself where you're at. And and um, I used to hear that one a lot growing up too. Like, oh, you need to meet people where they're at. Meet others where you're at. You don't play along well with others. And and I think back now and I'm like, well, no, I can't um, mm-hmm. get along with others because I, I can't even get along with myself. I don't even know who I am. And if you only knew what was going on inside of me, um, maybe you'd like give me a little bit of grace and and you talk about going out to dinner and you're right. It, it's a bunch of like BS a lot of times when, when you go out to dinners with people or you meet new people for the first time. And, and the one that, that really bugs me the most is when you meet people and their very first question is, well, what do you do? Ugh. I'm like, yeah. why, why does that matter? Are you, well, you live in, you live in Aspen. You live in Aspen, so that's like the Hollywood of Colorado, yeah, well, right? No, I live in Stomas Village, so thankfully okay. I'm nine miles away from the, yeah. But it's the, the same thing here. It's the same everybody, thing. Yeah. Everybody's like, what do you do? What do you do? And it's yeah. like, would you really want to know what I do? Do you yeah. really want to know my story? And that's why I'm like you. I'm an open book. I'm like, do you, I don't give a rat's ass that you know that I was diagnosed with complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. It, when I got to that point where I was a, I was freed. I'm not on medication right now. May, perhaps I need to be back on it. But when I realized that I was carrying what I was carrying and faking it, like that's why I went, I was an actress my whole life. That's why I was a theater major because I would hide in characters and all of these things because I didn't know how to deal with like my, my wounded brain, you know, like you have, if yeah. you have a broken arm, I say it all the time. Or Shaylee Hugendorn, who was just on. There's such a stigma, and she's a wonderful lady. And just like you, she's like, it doesn't, it's not like a life sentence. Yes, I'm going to have like bad days again. Like I am diagnosed as bipolar. I need to be on medication for the rest of my life. What if you were diabetic? You need to be on diabetes medicine for the rest of your life, or you won't live. It's the same thing, right? It is the exact same thing. I love how you put that. And, and, I'll, when I give talks, I'll mm-hmm. I'll throw the statistic out so people can hear it, but then I add my own statistic. So, right, we all hear one in five, 20%, right? We all know that number people who are living with or dealing with uh, some type of mel- mental illness. And, and I love uh, Shaley's, uh, the conversation you had with her, because um, oh, I, I talk about her. it in terms of a mental illness, right? Because uh-huh. I think we should just destigmatize that whole word too, while we're at it. Like nobody says, uh, you know, well, diabetes is not an illness, right? Diabetes. 
No, diabetes is an illness. Like heart disease is an illness. Like anxiety, uh, OCD, that's an illness. Like let's just put it out there and, and, and that's what it is. But the other stat I throw out is, yeah, well, one in five might have this uh, you know, diagnosed or undiagnosed mental health issue, but five out of five of us don't have our shit together. And so like, let's just, let's just be honest right now. And when I hear from people, it, when I talk to people, you know, wh one, it's, what do you do for a living? For me, that's an immediate red flag. I'm like, okay. What do you say? Do you j right away just say to people what you do? Or like, no. I'm just curious. No, what do you do? <laughs> oh, so yeah. So if people yeah. are like, well, what do you, what do you do for a living? And I'm, I'll just be like, oh, I'm on, an entrepreneur. Or I do a bunch of like, uh -huh. and, and cause my first thought is if this is the most important thing to you, then I really don't want to have anything to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'll, start to kind of like take a, a mental note of that. But the other thing, and when we started our podcast, a really good friend of ours who we teach skiing with, um, is from Europe. And, and I remember him saying to me, you know, one, one of the things he noticed in the United States is that people use the, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing as a greeting? And the, and the answer they're just expecting is, Hey, good. Good. See you. Right. Go and so Mark and I, having listened to him, he said when, you know, in, in his home country, when somebody asks, how are you doing? It's usually around a table. There's going to be tea or coffee and they're going to sit there for two hours and they're going to tell each other what's really going on. So we've taken that on as a challenge here. And it was kind of funny at the beginning because people would say, hey, how are you doing? And my response and Mark's response would be, do you really want to know? And they would say, sure. That. And suddenly like, all right, here it comes. Uh, and a few people were taken aback. And I was like, you just asked how I was doing. If, <laughs> if what you meant was, what's up? Or, or hey, like that's a greeting. Just wave and say, hey. Um, but don't like ask an open-ended question. And so for me, a lot of um, what I do in my work now is I try to help people understand that, you know, as you were saying, being an actress, wearing the facade, I wore the facade great. I was given nicknames when I was younger for the behaviors that I would, uh, I would act out. So what I try to do is teach people, we need to stop asking closed ended questions. And especially as you were saying, when it comes to kids, because I think back to myself, when somebody would say, how are you? Good, fine, okay, run up, go to my room, right? And kids do that now. They come home, you're like, hey, how are you? I'm fine. They run up to the room, slam the door, and hop on social media. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I tell parents especially, you need to plug in to your kids. And, and if you really want to know what's going on, when they walk in the door from school or from practice or you're at the dinner table and you say, how are you doing? And they answer with that closed ended fine or okay, stop, pause and go, no, 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 no. How are you really doing? Like put the phone down. How are you really doing? Because a lot of times kids want to talk about what's happening, but they don't feel as though somebody really wants to listen. And more importantly, this generation, I think more than others around, you know, social media and cyberbullying and all this other shit that goes on. That, that we didn't have to deal with when we grew up um, is this whole judgment issue. And, and 
kids nowadays are so afraid to be judged or, you know, or, or canceled or whatever, whatever it is. And, and once you start to find out that there are people out there who really want to listen to what's happening and uh, you'll start to find out you're not alone. Um, what you're going through is, is in many ways, not different than what your friend's going through or what somebody else is going through. Um, and it gets that open-ended question, that dialogue going. And, and you were just saying like society as a whole, like it's kind of a shit show and it's a shit show because like we listen with our mouths, right? We don't listen with our ears. And if more people just sat back and listened rather than when somebody else spoke, just getting ready to formulate an answer right away, um, you know, we'd stop a lot of these arguments and we could have like what you and I are having right now, right? A conversation where it's two people exploring an issue, not saying it's right or wrong. It's just, hey, this is what I experienced. Great. This is what I experienced. What was it like for you? Uh, and suddenly I think we'd find that we all have a lot more similarities than we actually have differences. I think it's so true. And I also think what you said about, um, I love love what you said about how, hey, how are you doing? My my issue is when people ask me that, I really tell them how I'm doing too. I'll be like, yeah. well, like such and such happened and that sucked. And I think sometimes people are like, what? You know, enough of the phony baloney bullshit. You know, I mean, really, I, 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 I can tell you stories. There's so much phony baloney bullshit that goes on where I live. And, um, and in general, I think in our country, we're taught to have the American dream. It sounds like your parents were pushing that on you. Uh, I, with in my house, my mom, you know, I love my mom. Uh, I lost my dad as a little girl, but you know, same thing. My dad, like orthodontist, my mom, homemaker, model, was a beauty queen. Like I had so much pressure on me to look a certain way that like really all of these things that we go through in our childhood, what we might be putting on our kids too, like unintentionally, by the way, I know I put stuff on my kids as patterns of my childhood and it sucks and I hate it and I wish I did a better job and I try to, but sometimes I fall back into these patterns but I do think what you said, it's so important and so um, true. I, I wanted to ask you, Sure. it must have been so triggering and hard to live that like New York life of like working on Wall Street and, um, and you know, making the money. It was all about money, 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 you know? I mean, there's so much pressure and then hiding behind your, what you were actually going through in your head. I just was curious as to what that was like. And, you know, it, it must've been awful. Sure. It's, you know, I never really put the links together until, mm -hmm. you know, the last decade or so since I, I moved away from New York and had a chance to reflect on what, what, a contributing factor stress was to my overall, both mental and physical health and throw in there, uh, you know, we lived in New York city. We were there on nine 11. Uh, we know stories and we know people who got out. We know people who didn't get out. My mm -hmm. Mark, my co-host, his, his wife worked in the trade center at the time. My wife worked in the trade center in between, you know, the bombing and, uh, 93. And then the one that ultimately, unfortunately took the towers down, uh, but yeah, it's uh, my whole life during that period 
was what I now realize what other people wanted me to be, who they wanted me to be and what they wanted me to do. And yeah, making a lot of money, right? It, it kind of becomes uh, this self-fulfilling prophecy like, oh, I've made a lot of money. I'm going to make more. Uh, but then you quickly realize, and, and I've had many people talk to me, uh, you know, they won't go on the show because they don't, and I, and I understand, I'd love to shatter that stigma, but a lot of people in the Wall Street community don't want to speak openly about what they're, what they're going through out of fear of, you know, somebody else finding out or losing their jobs. And so I feel like uh, here I am uh, and I can get on that soapbox. Uh, yeah, the stress, the, you know, showing up in the office, FaceTime, just not FaceTime on, you know, an iPhone, but FaceTime sitting in that, sitting in there. And, um, you know, the more you, the more time you put in the office versus somebody else, right. The more likelihood you'll get promoted. And, um, you know, and, and back when I was there, it wasn't business casual, right. It was, you know, fancy, uh, custom-made suits and, you know, Ferragamo ties and, uh, you know, and, and Rolexes and, and, and everything that you wore, uh, and, and every vacation you went on and every, where you lived in the city was all a way for people. It was like a status symbol, right? People were like, Oh, you live in the Upper West Side. You live in mm -hmm. at the, at the time we lived in, um, one of the Trump buildings on the West Side. Uh, but way before he was president and, um, but it, it was all about, like what was happening on the outside while on the inside I was, I was crumbling. I was falling apart. Um, I now realize that nine 11 had a much greater impact on me than, than I ever thought at the time uh, as I've worked with my therapist and we've, we've talked through all the different forms of, of trauma and PTSD and, and it really changed how we lived in the city, how, how, safe or unsafe we felt at various times uh but yeah being on being on wall street um is is one of the most stressful uh experiences i've ever gone through and and um i was lucky i recognized it took me a long time but i recognized that 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 wasn't who i was um mm -hmm. it was it was uh you know i know you know you were talking about acting, your husband's an actor. It was the character I was playing, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, it was my own version of Gordon Gecko, right, from Wall Street. Or uh, it wasn't who I truly was. And and I look around now, and I always tell friends, uh, you know, when we go out to dinner, I'm like, can I wear jeans? Because I'm not going to the restaurant. I'm not going to a restaurant if I can't be there in a t-shirt and jeans. Like it's just not going to happen. And when I travel, it's like one pair of jeans, bunch of t-shirts. I'm in a hoodie right now, like this, you know, full of ink everywhere. Like that's who, that's who I, I really am. And, and who I was when I was that little kid, but in between I was doing all these things to try to please other people and do what I thought other people wanted. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I was, I was very lucky and, um, we, we, my wife and I, you know, look back and, and we're thankful for all the things that we have, but now I feel truly free to, to be who I want and do what I want and, um, and help other people, uh, be able to find their own joy and, and experience their own journeys and, 
Um, and whether it's through a podcast or whether it's through skiing or whether it's just sitting down and, and, and talking and, and listening to, to other people and coming back to what we said at the beginning, if, if, if I can have an impact on just one person, um, and, and change the, the arc of their journey, you know, job done. Well, also it sounds like what I went through as well. Um, you, I'm free for the first time in my life. I'm still like, I'm not perfect, but like to be free, I was doing dishes yesterday and I was like, it's pretty nice not giving a rat's ass what somebody thinks of me. Yeah. Sometimes I do care. I obviously care, uh, about like, you know, outfits and clothes and purses and all the stuff that like many people, women do. But when you think about it, if I, when I was a few years ago, I talk about like how I had this really bad friend breakup and, you know, I was just at my lowest point of my life. And now where I am now, where it's like, I'm free. And I have to remind myself that like no pair of shoes is going to make me happier. (laughs) Nothing, no purse, no pillow on my sofa, no nothing. You just can't take it with you, you know? And I kind of, I have to like break an obsession with how I lived so much of my life because I cared so much about that. I would love to know if there was, if there was one thing that you could tell somebody that in closing, cause we're getting ready to close, um, that is struggling a young boy, for example, or a young man and like living a life kind of in prison or struggling with OCD or all the things that you struggled with. And now to find yourself free doing something that you love to do skiing, um, playing guitar, living in a place that makes you happy. What's your best advice for somebody? Uh, it's going to start with two words, tell someone. And I, I talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would change on my journey, if I could go back in time, is I would have told somebody. Uh, not sure who it would have been. When I think of all the, the people that were in and out of my life in those years. But by telling someone, you'll be amazed at how much of a weight is lifted off of your shoulders. It doesn't mean that overnight, suddenly the anxiety or the depression or the OCD or whatever it is you're experiencing is going to go away. But once those words come out of your mouth, you're a singer, uh, right? Finding your voice. Once you find your voice, it all gets easier from that day forward. And so find someone, whether it's an extremely close friend, whether it's a family member, someone who you can trust and someone who you know is not going to judge you and say, can, can I have a conversation with you? Something isn't right and I really want to tell someone. And I promise you from that day forward, it gets easier and you, you may not see the light at the tunnel at the end of the tunnel that first time you have the conversation, but you'll stand a little taller. Maybe your shoulders wouldn't, won't slump. You'll realize, wow, what, what was this terrible, deep secret that I was keeping 
from everybody, I told somebody and they looked at me and said, that's okay. And, and I use the tagline on, on our show is perfectly okay to not always be okay. Uh, cause you don't want to be not okay all the time, but yeah. somebody will look at you and say, that's okay. How can I help? And, and when you have that conversation for the first time, you'd be amazed at, at how your trajectory will change. So just to, to, to say it again, tell someone. Oh, I love that. And, and to piggyback on that too, if you're going to a therapist, I say this a lot and you do not, you're not clicking with that therapist. There's other therapists out there. There's you, it's kind of, I say it's like online dating, although I have never done that. Um, like you have, you're going to probably have to kiss a few frogs. You know, if the therapist isn't a good fit for you, you need to find one that is, and they're, and they're out there. I promise you, I hate to plug better help, but I, I personally, they're one of my sponsors. I really did use them and I was matched up with a great therapist, extra ad for you, better help this week. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's such an honor to meet you. Um, like I say a lot, like some days I'm dragging and I'm like, Oh, I had the worst morning. I dragged myself out of bed. I just was feeling crappy. I was all stressed out. And then I got to sit here and meet somebody like you. And it's really honestly an honor. I hope that we keep in touch and just to, to give you a quick plug, um, give every, my listeners your, where they can find you, your socials, your podcast, et cetera. Sure. Absolutely. And just a, a really quick little anecdote to that. So people understand that we still all go through all these things all the time. Right. And, and I, I remember I, I'd seen, um, your show somewhere and I was like, Oh, I need to find out more. So I found, and then there was the page where you could apply to be a guest and then I started looking at all the people you've had on the show and here comes the imposter syndrome, right? And I was like, well, I'm not some famous doctor and I'm not some famous author and I'm not a famous actor. I'm not a, and I was like, but you know what? Let me write to Megan. Let me kind of tell her what my, what a little bit about what my story is and, and, and what I'm doing. And when you wrote back within a couple of days, I was like, wow, like Megan wants to have me on her show. Like that's incredible. Um, so I'm, I, the honor is all mine. I'm very thankful. And oh, when we get cry. off, we'll <laughs> chat because you need to be on our show. There's so many. Oh, I would love there. to, but can I just say something about what you just said? My favorite thing is when listeners reach out to me and they apply to be on my show. Nobody is better than anybody else. I don't. And I love what you said about not asking people, um, what they do. Some of the most fascinating people that I have met in my life, I found out later, are like a trash guy or like nobody's better than anybody else. And so I thank you for saying that because if you're listening to this podcast, reach out to me, apply to be on the show. Usually, I mean, I love all different kinds of stories. Everybody's, I say it all the time. You matter. Your story matters. Keep going. And you made me cry two times during this episode. <laughs> So thank you so much, Eric. You're, you're a joy. Your story is amazing. And I really honestly hope that um, my male listeners listen and they share this episode because it's so important. And in closing, be happy by making other people happy. Oh, wait, Eric, I forgot oh, yeah. to ask I'll... what your socials are. Yeah, really the quick quickly. plug. So, yep. Uh, we got sidetracked. Uh, yeah. So 
The podcast is called From Survivor to Thriver. New episodes uh, come out every Tuesday morning and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. My It's E-R-I-K, last name DeRosa, D-A-R-O-S-A. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, and if you go onto my Instagram, what you'll see is a, is a fun mix of skiing and mountain biking and all of my my fun adventures. I try to keep my, uh, and my wife has been really good at helping me with this. I try to keep my personal life uh, pretty personal, uh, but I do try to uh, put out there some, some inspirational things that I'm doing here in the mountains and, and with our show. So I'd love to hear from you uh, what you thought about this episode. I'd love to hear what you think about our show. And, and, and I always say this in closing, um, if you do feel as though you know something isn't right and you don't have that person in your life who you feel comfortable with or, or somebody that you have the ability to feel safe around and have a conversation, please reach out. I'm happy to be that listening ear. And uh, you know, luckily through our show, I know through Megan's show as well, uh, you know, we have access to people and resources. And so we can certainly help guide you uh, in the right direction on your journey. And Megan, thank you again so much for having me. This is an amazing conversation. It was the best, the best, the best. Okay, second closing. Remember everyone, be happy by making other people happy. Thank you again, Eric. Thank you. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.